Welcome to the With Clarity and Purpose podcast with your host, Janet Borrego. Each week, I bring you an inspiring person or message to empower you to live life on your terms so you can be who you want to be, do what you are meant to do, and have the life you deserve to have. We will provide you with practical and cutting-edge approaches to continue getting clarity and direction on your path, mastering your mindset, and gaining confidence to tap into your inner wisdom so you can live on purpose. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of With Clarity and Purpose. And today I have a very special and inspiring guest, Katie Cohen. Katie has a very unique story that I'm sure is going to inspire all of you. She was a former engineer in corporate, and now she's a baker, entrepreneur, and business owner of Demeter's Kitchen. Thank you so much, Katie, for being here today. I'm so appreciative of you. (laughs) Oh, thank you for having me. Honored. (laughs) Awesome. And just to give everyone a quick background on how we met. So Katie and I used to work in my first corporate job together, not literally together, but we met through common friendships. Did you Mm -hmm. ever work in the refinery? I think I only interned at the refinery. I worked upstream. Yes. So we met whenever I was working my first corporate job. And since we met, we always had this common mindset of wanting to own our own business and pursue our passions. And even before I did that, Katie jumped and did it for herself. So (laughs) And she was a big inspiration for me on my path to continue pursuing my passion. So I'm just excited for her to share her story because she's so wise and knowledgeable and she's going to tell a lot of you. (laughs) You give me too much credit. (laughs) Trying to figure it out too. (laughs) I'm, I'm sure. So Katie, I always ask all of our guests to share their background. So what is your background? Were you born? What did you study? All of that. (laughs) I grew up in New Jersey in a small town called Roselle Park near Elizabeth and Newark. I was not always a great student, but I remember like in fourth grade getting a really bad test and being so embarrassed that my parents had to come in and sign it. And from then on, I felt like really committed to not being embarrassed by not working hard. Like, I feel like it was from that point, like I just always made sure I got good grades because that seemed like the way to not be embarrassed or judged, you know, like, yeah. So went through high school, was encouraged to study chemical engineering because I was good at math and science. Like most people probably who decide to do that. Yeah. And I went to NJIT in Newark and I went there because it was pretty much a free ride. And I was very conscientious of money from a very young age, always wanted a job, always wanted to provide for myself, always wanted to feel like I didn't need anything. And Went to NJIT, got internships at the same oil and gas company that you worked at. And when I got a job there, I was super excited by the possibilities, the independence, the opportunity to travel. But I feel like within a year of being there, I something didn't feel right. And I didn't know what it was because I was like, what do you mean? I've like literally worked so hard at school to get this degree. I've worked so hard to get this job. And now I'm here and something just feels wrong. I felt like I had a lot of these kind of like coping mechanisms that were really unhealthy that were just like all of a sudden they were popping back up. And I was like, whoa, and I'm, and at this point I didn't really have a lot of um, dialogue or ways to verbally identify these kind of coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. But I knew that something was like flaring up. It's like, these are physical signs that something's not right because I'm coping in these unhealthy ways. So I honestly didn't know what to do. It felt like a huge identity crisis. I'm trying to like put myself back in that space. It feels like eons ago. It's (laughs) like, geez, what was I even thinking then? I don't freaking know. (laughs) But I just, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like 23 when I started realizing like, this is just, I felt like I wasn't all of a sudden I used to feel like this group, this company is like where my people are. Like, I feel like I belong here. And all of a sudden I started to feel like I didn't belong there. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I feel like the people might, age. I mean, I still, a lot of my very good friends are from there, but the people like who sat next to me, my mentors, I was like, Oh my God, I just feel like an imposter. I feel like I don't understand what's going on. I don't want to understand what's going on. And so I just started to explore. I knew that something wasn't right. 
I started eating better as dumb as that sounds. Like I just like went to these things that I knew I could control. And I started spending a lot of time on like running and physical, like long endurance activities. Those were like my respite from. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the foundation. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like this thing I knew made me feel better. It's just like endless running, just endless. (laughs) (laughs) Which really wasn't our coping mechanism, but a A huge one. one. It did. It was, you know, sometimes healthier than others. But like at some point when I was working at Exxon, I was like running almost like two times a day. Like I get up in the morning to run, I come home and run. Like I just had all this energy and it wasn't actually being like channeled into my work. Like I felt like almost when I went to work, I had stuff to do, but it wasn't using this energy. You were restless in a way. Yeah. hundred percent. So I started doing, I did like an online coaching, health coaching class. Oh, I love Um, that. I yeah. I mean, I was that. just like yeah, poking yeah. around. I was like, what can I do here? And I did yoga teacher training and like I remember all this that. stuff, yeah. you know, just none of these things. I was like, oh, that's going to be my career. But I was like, it's something. And after doing that for a while, and I had one job offer from a yoga studio and I was like, that didn't feel right. Yeah. And um, yes, 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 yes. at some point I was eating at Pondicherry in Houston, one of my favorite restaurants. And <laughs> I was going to the bathroom and they had a sign that said like help wanted. And I was like, hmm, maybe I'll apply. Why not? (laughs) And I apply and they're looking for someone for the bake lab, which is their upstairs, like bakery, food lab. They did a lot of cool experimental shit up there and they offered me a job and it just, it felt right. I don't know why, even though like I literally got hired to make coffee and serve pastries. Like I was, was I remember I visited you once. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, And I was like, oh, well, I'll do this and I'll try to get my health coaching business off the ground and it'll be more aligned. Like my full-time job will more align with this career that I'm trying to build. So I went and I did that and I was trying to get my health coaching business off the ground, but I also felt like an imposter there. Like I was like, who am I to be helping people with this? Like I felt it was very anxiety inducing to be honest. Yeah. I love that you mentioned the imposter syndrome because I just published an episode about it. And I feel that the imposter syndrome gets worse when you feel that you're not tapping into that inner voice and that intuition. Mm -hmm. You're just not aligning with what you're supposed to align. Because when you get there, I feel you get more fulfilled and confident and congruent on the mm-hmm. path you're walking. Does that, did that happen to you? Like, yes. And I also want to ask you in your experience, like, do you feel like when you feel imposter syndrome, it's not something to necessarily like grind your heels down and work through. It's like, okay, if I'm feeling imposter syndrome, something's not hundred percent right. Is that what you found yes, in your experience? Totally. And I think like getting curious and asking questions to yourself in order to dig deeper and understand where you're not aligning. Because mm-hmm. I do think the imposter syndrome is like the self-discovery syndrome. There is something there that is not aligning. So it depends on mm-hmm. you to have the right questions to get there to the root yeah. cause of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is the same thing. I love it. I love that you that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, I felt like an imposter doing this yeah. coaching. And so I eventually decided I had like some volunteering I was doing like with this base of knowledge and I still loved food. I loved help. I loved to assist people in feeling good in their bodies. So two places I was doing this volunteering and that felt right. So it's like, I felt weird accepting money for talking to people about their health, but I felt good about just giving it away. So I was like, I'm just going to keep giving it away and keep working at Pondicherry. And I was like, you know, kind of climbing because I was energetic, excited. So I got to a barista and like a server. And then I got to help with their cooking classes and I got to expand on their cooking classes. I got to create her website, her food blog, which is India 1948. So built that whole thing. And then I eventually got to like manage the bake lab. And that was an amazing experience because I felt like I got to be part of something I believed in. It's like we were creating food that I truly believed was something that Houston needed Mm -hmm. and it was unique. You ate it and you had to pause. Like the flavors were so interesting. And I was like, I just love, like, I loved the new relationship I was having with food because before it felt very like, got to eat the healthiest you can. It's got to be good and it's got to fuel you. And it's like, this felt like fueling, but in a different way, it's like some of it was heavier. Some of it would not be considered healthy, but it was nourishing. And I ate it and I felt like, A, I'm interested. B, I have to pause because it's delicious. And <laughs> again, interesting. 
And I just started to feel like good about eating good food instead of very focused on the health aspect only. So that was inspiring. And I love that I got to work on processes to make the place better for the workers, for the customer, and for overall the boss. And so I just loved the puzzle of running a food establishment. Like it was so much Mm -hmm. fun. I I love it. And I love that a lot of people need clarity and want clarity. And I always say the only way to find clarity is to define those options that you want to experiment and go for it and take action. And that Mm -hmm. is exactly what you did. You tried yoga, you did like working in Pondicherry, you were keeping your full-time job. I told you were doing like four or five things and different paths to see what you really connected with. Do mm-hmm. you resonate with that? Like, how do you start gaining clarity? Do you think that was the path for you? Trial and error. Like I, Trial and error. <laughs> yes, I because you don't know what you want until you know what you don't want. And I feel mm-hmm. like I still have to remind myself of this, but even with my own business, it's like I experiment with things and it's like they fail or they just don't feel right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, man, I thought I would be better at this by now. Just trial and no error, right? And it's like, no, there's still that interesting process. Like half the fun of doing something new is like, is it going to work or is it not going to work? Which is why even in my business now, it's like, we almost make a new bread every week. Like I don't have a consistent menu. I don't do the same exact thing every week. It's like, we change it up based on what the farmer is offering or based on you know, what's inspiring or interesting. So I feel like I still bring that into my current work because I do love the gamble or the uncertainty or the newness. Like, I think that that's what keeps me interested. If I was just executing the same menu week after week, I would be bored with this business. Yeah. Creativity is bred in uncertainty. There is Mm -hmm. no other way, right? If you're certain, there is no creativity. So I Mm -hmm. love that you're channeling that into your business (laughs) every week. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It gets more challenging as like the demands of the business get bigger. Like we have five employees Mm -hmm. now. And wow, amazing. to, To keep that creativity. It's like, now it's not just me in the kitchen whipping up all this stuff. It's like, I need to communicate what I'm doing to another individual, or I need to be there with them. And just kind of also seeing how like my communication of what I'm envisioning is then like telephone to this next person and how they wind up creating it. That's another trial and error sort of thing. We all, (laughs) we're all getting it. (laughs) Mm So you were in Pondichor and Pondicherry. When you received that offer, I'm trying to remember, did you leave your full-time job? Immediately. I gave them two weeks. I was trying to remember. Yes, 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 yes. I remember. I got the job offer and I was like, I just immediately was like, all right, I'm giving my two weeks. And I mean, I think they were scared and I was scared because it's like, I was (laughs) like, "Uh uh-oh, why is this person leaving? to come here for full time. But I was like, I don't remember exactly, but I knew it felt right. Like I remember how I felt after that first job offer from a yoga studio. And it was so like, Oh my God, I don't know. Like it, like my inner voice was just not in there with me. And I had just started dating my now husband at the time, all this was going on. And he was like very uncertain also about the yoga thing. And then when I told him about Pondicherry, he's like, yeah, that sounds about, you know, like he also like, he can, but he could also sense my attitude towards Energy. it. So yeah, 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 yeah. he was super supportive. I remember he got me this like beautiful spice book when I left as like farewell gift an exciting new chapter gift. And I still just like cherish that memory of the support that he gave me as I was doing something that felt like it felt right. Yeah. But not that my parents weren't not supportive, but like I was perceiving the reactions of the world is like, why would you leave this corporate high paying job to be a pastry slinger and coffee maker at a little bakery and <laughs> to have the support of the person I loved the most and wanted my life to be with? It was just like, man, that was so important and validating because oh I was goodness. young at the time. And I mean, I'm still young, but you know, <laughs> I, <felt like, laughs> yes. I kind of felt like I really needed the validation and the confidence of others to execute on things. And I just always wonder, like, if I didn't really have him and his assuredness in me, I don't know how I would have entered this next phase. Like he just was really on my team. And even when it was hard, like he can handle when things get hard. And when I'm failing, he doesn't, it's not like he wavers like, oh yeah, you're failing. Looks like you should have done that other thing. I guess it's like, no, he's like, yeah, no, he's like, this is part of it. 
Keep going. I love that. Yeah, because I mean, in my case, the same. Like mm-hmm. when I make a big decision, like leaving corporate to have my own coaching business, I tell just few people, and those few people are my mom and my fiance mm-hmm. now. And the same thing as you, like incredible. He was like, hey, do what your heart tells you to do. And I thought he was going to say that I was crazy or what, mm-hmm. what am I thinking? And it's such a like, like a beautiful validation from people you trust right because mm-hmm. there are other people that you shouldn't listen at because they're not doing what you're doing but i resonated with that a lot so i'm just happy that you got the same experience yeah i mean it feels good to be yeah, seen good. in that way you know like i think i had a lot of doubts that i was if i was making the right choice or if i could really do what i was thinking in my head but it's like to be seen by your partner is like oh no i see you could do that like to have that yeah they like they see you as your best self yes even if that's not who you are in the present. And I feel like, I mean, I can't describe how like transformational and life-changing that is to have that. And it's just like, man, got lucky. Got lucky with this guy. (laughs) I love it. And I mean, when you left your full-time corporate job and then you started this full-time job with Pondicherry, did you experience some identity shock? I mean, you mentioned the people's perception of the whole situation, which is normal. Mm-hmm. Did you experience it yourself of saying like, oh my God, maybe I'm like, I was an engineer with like 60 years job and then I'm just going down the ladder. I feel identity shock is something that I've oh, worked 100%. <laughs> oh and yeah, I'm there's still, a huge yeah. identity shock. Yeah, yeah. And like, I used to use the fact that I was an engineer to let the world know like, hey, I'm smart. I'm that was my external okay? sign. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, trust yeah, yeah. me, I'm smart. And now I was like behind the counter at restaurant and I felt there were a lot of times like I was like man these people are treating me like I'm dumb and I hated it it drove me crazy but I also kind of knew like they don't know me and it also gave me a different respect for just all t- sorts of careers in general like we really have no idea mm-hmm. half the time okay. who we're interacting with in the service industry and it's like there are so many smart capable than more than they're doing at this present moment humans yeah that we interact with every day. And it's just like, I never was someone who gave anyone like a hard time in service because I always knew like, you're handling my food. Like this is a transaction of something that I'm going to assimilate into my body. Like you deserve respect because you're providing me food. But I now had like a whole different perspective when I went to a restaurant. I was even a little more like graciousness, like, hey, I don't know who you are, but I know you're Mm freaking like, you're probably much more than I can even imagine in this moment because all I'm interacting with is you serving me a meal. And it gave me a whole different respect for service, service industry, service industry professionals. And I feel like I watched things differently. Like whenever I went out to eat or I went to a coffee shop, like I feel like my vision went from like this to just like totally, I'm watching like, how are they coming in and out of the kitchen? How are they interacting with tickets? How do they interact with the customer? And like, it just became, the whole thing became interesting. Yeah. 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 I love that because, I mean, of course, I come from like an immigration background, right? And I know that a lot of people even come to this country with doctor's degrees, with engineering degrees, and because their education is not recognized, they end up working mm-hmm. on the service industry. So it's exactly like you said. I mean, we see the face and the body there, but we don't know their story, which is a mm-hmm. lot bigger than what we see. So I love that you brought that up and that you recognize that. That's awesome. Yeah. And we should always give them the benefit of the doubt, like whoever we're interacting <laughs> yes. with in the service, it's like, assume that they're 10 times better than you think they are. Know, like, just I assume know. it because yeah. they are, you just don't know them. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So you're in Pondicherry, you quit your full-time job. You're like all in because you're passionate. You have your vision. I imagine that you had a vision. The how wasn't a specific, but you knew what you were doing at the end of mm-hmm. the day, like kind of like abstract in an abstract way, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, what happened during Pondicherry? Like, how did that help you get closer to that vision? What were your key lessons or learnings? Mm-hmm. My key learnings there were flavors. Like, I feel like I got to understand and interact with a genre of cooking, a cultural genre of cooking that's like really all about, wow, flavors, the variety of spices that they incorporate, the different types of fats, and Anita the owner and chef at Pondicherry. I mean, she's unbelievably inspirational. Her creativity knows no bounds. Like this woman (laughs) is just like creative on every level. And I feel like that was a big lesson. Like I 
was around someone who could interact with food and flavor in a different way than I had ever mm-hmm. done it. And so flavors, um, also just the running of establishment. Like when I got to be a manager and I was like working with the staff who were the baristas and the cooks and the chefs and the pastry, like, I feel like that, how those things all work together yeah, and got, getting to have kind of that overarching witnessing of it, instead of just being like, I'm kind of in the middle of serving a million people. It's not a lot of time to witness and observe. So I feel like I got to have that. And it also gave me the confidence that like I had, I had something that was special because she let me have a little more breath than I think I expected to be able to have. Like, I feel like I could see all of a sudden I had some skills. Like I can just see when things need to get done, especially in food, like in a kitchen, in a restaurant, it's like, I see when someone leaves a table and we got to get that finished. Or I see when like that needs to get done before this gets done. Like all of a sudden my like process oriented brain felt like applauded there. Like it never felt good at my corporate job. It felt like, man, you're always like 10 steps behind. Here, I felt like I was 10 steps ahead all the time. And it was such a nice feeling. So I feel like that was like an amazing base. And then my partner, he left Exxon also. Yeah. Am I allowed to say Exxon on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we charged it, so no problem. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So he leaves Exxon. He goes to MIT to do a dual master's degree. So we're doing long distance for a year. I'm still working at Pondicherry. How long do you work at Pondicherry? I was there for two years. Two years, yeah. So he's there and he gets, he has an internship. So it's like a six month break and he gets an internship at at Nike in Portland, Oregon. And he wanted that, or so he says, so that I would move with him because I wasn't going to go to Boston at the time, but he's like, maybe she'll come to Portland. So he gets this job. And at the time I had started baking bread at home just because I was super interested in it. And I watched the chef's table, Nancy Silverton. Have you ever seen it? <laughs> no, I've watched chef's table, but I don't remember her. Yeah. The Nancy Silverton one just straight up inspired me. I just wanted to bake. Like I had no thoughts like, oh, I want to do this for a living, but I just watched her episodes. I was like, I'm going to bake at home. So I started doing this at home. And when he was moving to Portland, I was like, you know, I really loved baking bread at the time. I was not very good, but I was having a great time. And I was like, you know, I want to learn how to do this. And so I reached out to Samin Nasrat, who wrote Salt, Fat, Heat, Acid. And I sent her an email. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of thinking about, I want to be a bread baker. And I'm trying to decide if I should go to school. Like, should I go to pastry school or should I just like get jobs? And she's like, hey, you know, I'm super busy right now, but like, here's three different people. Let's see what they say. So she like connects me with, um, wow. I, I know she sent this person an email that yeah, said, just and, sent her an email. Oh my God. I love it. And okay. Okay. Let's stop there because I feel <laughs> there is so much learnings there, right? Some people are like, okay, I'm going to send an email to this person. She'll never reply. So I'm not going to do it. But you just went ahead. You are like, I'm going to give my best, send that email and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. What is the mindset that you have that you think is an enabler in order to get you over that hump or overthinking that nothing is going to happen? Because I mm-hmm. see this in you over and over. You're like, I'm going to do it. You know, you just <laughs> trust. There is something that you just trust and you go for it. How would you describe that in yourself? Because I do think from corporate to entrepreneurship, that's such an important thing to happen, to have mm-hmm. in yourself. Mm-hmm. What, how would you say is that trust faith? Like, I don't think it's either of those things. I don't know. You know, I think I don't have any trust. It's like, I send that email. It's like, I don't trust that someone's going to answer me. It's like, I hope I feel like yeah, the uncertainty, it, the hope is like kind of what excites me. It's like, maybe this person will tell me what's up. Maybe they won't. And I also feel like I really value experience, especially after I kind of felt like after Exxon, I had this whole feeling of being betrayed by the education system. I felt like I was forced and pushed into, I mean, it was very fortunate at the end of the day, I have no regrets. I don't want to like knock the amount of privilege I had to be able to get this degree and have the type of job that I had. But I kind of felt like the world told like, oh, or me get this really good job, get this really good degree. And you will be like worth something in this world and you'll be happy. Yes. yes, And I kind of felt like, you know what? I'm done trusting just this degree. Like that degree didn't make me an engineer. No offense. Like I was not a great engineer. Same here. (laughs) Same here. I actually, yeah. Started like you, chemical engineering, did a little bit of engineering in freaking six years that I was there in my first corporate job. And the little bit that I did, I didn't even enjoy it. I mean, I'm going to be very honest. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of felt like I didn't love that. Like, it's like, I don't want to hear about the 
degree. I felt like I respected the piece of paper and the, I don't know what, I don't know the word I'm trying to say, but I didn't respect the piece of paper as much as I respected the experience. So I was like, you know what? I need to ask people who have the experience. Like, I don't want to ask a teacher at pastry school, like, should I get a degree or not? It's like, obviously you should get a degree. It's because they work it versus practice at the end of the day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like I had it's so like, much more respect for practice. I was like, I yes. learned so much in the two mm-hmm. years at Pondicherry and I learned a lot at school. Sure. But it's yeah. like, it felt so applicable immediately. And so I just feel like I had, like, I hoped all the times, like I just hoped that things will work out. If they didn't, I also had confidence that like, I'll figure it out. Like I'm going to figure it out somehow or some way, you know, I'm not going to lay down in the middle of the road and be done. It's like, I'm going to keep moving. It might not be graceful and it might look kind of weird, but like, I've got solid people in my corner and anybody who doesn't see that can just keep going. Cause I have no interest in exactly kind of people who are only there to enjoy the ups. Like I'm going to have downs and I, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I just want a small intimate circle of people who can handle life and the good and the bad. They don't just need all the good. I love that. I love that. Okay, yeah, so cool. Just so you, you know, <laughs> I love it because I think it's really important for people to listen, you know, like, and I feel you follow your gut because if not, you wouldn't mm-hmm. have gotten there to emailing this person out of nowhere, yeah. right? So following your gut and confidence that mm-hmm. things will work out, that you'll figure yeah. it out somehow. Yeah. I yeah. just love those three. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so you. Yes, I love it. So, so much good information. So I want to make sure that it's unpacked for our listeners. So you emailed this person. She provided you three contacts. I'm just curious what happened after there. I got responses for all three. And like these were two of them were from Tartine Bakery in San Francisco. This is like kind of the mecca of bread, like Tartine. And then Josie Baker from The Mill in San Francisco. So I got emails back from three of these people, pretty much all saying like, as business owners, we value experience more Ooh, than a pastry I get degree. Ooh, and so I was good. like, answer, I've got my answer. So I was like, okay, Steven's moving to Portland. The West Coast is a very big bread hub. And I was like, all right, I got to get some sort of bread experience. Because at this moment, I only had management food experience. I didn't really have a lot of kitchen experience. So I asked Josie Baker, one of those three people on the thing. He had an apprenticeship program. And so I applied and I got it. It's just a brief apprenticeship, but I was like, this is going to be the experience I use. So I can put something on my resume that I have some bread experience besides me baking at home. So I go and do that. It was amazing. He operates with like, he calls them humane baking hours. So like he opens at 6 a.m. And that's when his workers are expected to get there. And like a lot of bakers do overnight shifts or 2 a.m. It's like, he was like, I really want my bakers to have lives and be on the same schedule as the rest of the world. So I was inspired by that. And he used whole grains, which I was love. They had a mill in the facility, which is what takes the grains that you get from a farmer and you grind it into a flour. So he did that on site and I loved that. So anyway, that was a very brief experience. I take that, put it on my resume, go to Portland with my husband and I still, I found it in one of my like cookbooks recently. Like I had a list of all the places I was going to apply to in Portland. And like, I put next to one of them, Tabor Bread, Dream Job. And that's the one I wound up getting. So I got to work at the Dream in Portland and Tabor Bread. When you write it, it's crazy. It's so crazy. But when you write it, you take the action, you put the intention and you look back, it gives you chills of how things happen. Yeah. I still couldn't believe I got that job. Mm -hmm. You know, like I had the option to work somewhere walking distance from where we lived for like more money. And it was just the bread. It would have been cool. Like I still would have learned a lot, but it wasn't the type of bread that's really excited me. Like I was still very into whole grains. Like I was super curious because grains and the different types give dough different qualities, different wow. flavors. Like we think of bread and it's like, it's so much more than white bread and whole wheat. Like those are two such boring ways to eat bread. Like there's <laughs> yeah. hundreds of types of grains and they all have these unique flavors like the terroir, like they definitely do. So anyway, I take this job at Tabor Bread and they mill their own flour. They have a wood-fired oven. They do all sorts of whole grains. Everything's naturally leavened. They have like four different types of starters. And starters are the way that you leaven bread instead of using like a yeast, fast acting or a instant yeast, you use a starter. And it's a culture. Yeah, exactly. So I was so freaking pumped by this job. And I was literally just like the mixer's bitch. I was the assist, (laughs) the bread assist. So I just helped the mixer and I helped the maker. I helped pastry. Exactly. Like I just helped that was my job. It was not like, Hey, you're in charge of 
all the mixing. You're in, I didn't get any of the like sexy jobs that there are at uh, bakeries, but I was so excited because I was a sponge. I was like, I was learning so much all the time. And that I would say Tabor Bread was one of my most influential jobs for Demeter's Kitchen, like in our product offerings. Like they gave me the confidence to use different whole grains and to like mm-hmm. experiment. Like it wasn't like, hey, don't mess with that ratio. This is bread and that's it. It was like very, hey, all grains are different. You really got to figure it out. Cause even if yeah, the mill yeah. is different, if the harvest is different, like it changes the way the flour holds water. And that means you got to change your recipe. So it got me very excited by things that are naturally leavened by whole grains, by doing things in kind of this very long, slow way. Like I felt for the first time that my job was asking me to have patience. I felt like very rushed a lot in other jobs. And here it was like, there's pace, like we have to keep up with the bread, but bread is such a, what a great activity. Yeah. It's such a, like you are at the mercy of the weather of the yeast culture, of humidity, water temperature, like all of this contributes to the fermentation of the bread. And it's like, you're not rushing it. It's like, it's going to take the time that it takes. Waiting. Wow. Okay. I I may need to start making bread because patience is something I feel we all are working through, mainly when Mm -hmm. you're an entrepreneur. That because this is the thing. I totally agree with you in regards to the educational system. The educational system teaches us to get things like this. You study hard, you know the theory, you get an A in the exam. It's very linear. It's like you mm-hmm. do this, you do this, and then you get the result. When you get out of school, everything is touching a different pace, in a different natural order. And I feel patience is the enabler for so many things that mm-hmm. we are seeking in order to get those results. I mean, look at you, right? You were just seeking experience, not status. You were mm-hmm. seeking experience, not seeking to be popular. You were learning. It doesn't matter what level you were working. And I love that you brought up letting go of the fear of embarrassment because I feel that's such a huge challenge for many people. Being seen as starting small, being seen as letting go of that status that they have mm-hmm. you know, in order yes. to gain much more, to gain fulfillment, to create, create your own thing, right? And to be part of a team. Like if you come in with this, like I was an engineer and I was a yes. manager at oh another bakery. Such it's like no one yeah. gave a flying crap. It's like, yeah. I was doing dishes. I was, wow. what do you need? Like I was just doing whatever, like very basically I was like brushing baskets or oiling bins, like very boring stuff. But it's like, I'm watching and I'm eventually getting to get on the table and getting to shape bread. And Ooh, you seem like kind of capable. You can do the challah bread. And you can bake all the sandwich loaves. And, you know, over time, like you build trust. I feel like food industry is like anytime, if I ever were to not be at Demeter's Kitchen, if I ever had to go back out and get another job, it's like, start me at the bottom. Because that is how you build a relationship with the team. It's like, I'm not here to be the boss of you without knowing all that it is that you do every day. It's like, no, I do dishes and... I've done that boring job that you're doing right now. And we all have to do it at some point. And it's not because of hazing. It's because like, this is part of what makes this place run. And as small or as boring as a task is like, it's truly instrumental to executing this thing that we're all trying to do. So I feel like I, even the next job that I got, it's like, I will all, if there's not a dishwasher, it's like, I'm one of the first people when I have time to get in on the dish pit, because it's like, that is like one of the quickest ways to let your team know that I'm here for you. And I'm not Mm -hmm. just about getting in, getting out and executing on my highest ideal today. It's like, no, I'm here to make sure that this place runs. And you know, what's part of making it run the dishes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That is is inspiring. Cooking is cleaning. Yeah, Yeah. 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 I love it. In terms of deciding the teams that you were going to join, you were very intentional, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're like, yeah. this, is a, this is my dream place. Hopefully I'll make it. And you, you with that hope and action, you did. So that's yes. awesome. Now, a lot of listeners may be thinking, okay, but if I leave my corporate, then the financial security piece, and then starting all these part-time jobs, if I decide to go on to, I don't know, being a baker or in the food industry, 
what are your thoughts around the financial security and how you were able to manage that transition? Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have that question, so it's worth discussing. Well, it took me two years to figure it out because I worked at Exxon for almost three years. Yeah. And like I said, about a year in, I didn't know, but I immediately, once I knew that like, hey, I'm probably going to leave this job at some point, I started tracking my spending, like Excel spreadsheet, like what am I doing every month? It wasn't even like I was trying to change anything drastic at that point. I was like, where does money just go? Like what happens? (laughs) So I watched that for a really long time. And I just started to see like, how do I as an individual spend money? And then I also tried to make my life as cheap as possible. So I moved from house that I was sharing with some other women to the cheapest apartment that I felt safe in. And I made it a goal to pay off my car because I knew that monthly expense was really debilitating. I started saving as much as I could. And I did sacrifice. Like I had a lot of friends who were still very much in the, I'm making this amount of money and I will continue making this amount of money for a long time. And I was kind of like, you know what? That's not my plan. So, but I felt very grounded and motivated by this new puzzle. It felt like a puzzle. Like, okay, how do I save as much money as possible? How do I you know, change my life so that that is an ability. Yeah. And what are the sacrifices I'm willing to make? Like for this ideal that one day I will feel comfortable enough to make significantly less. Cause it's not like I was looking to go and make half. It's like, I was going in, I was going to make like a third or less. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I need to have a good savings just in case something happens health wise, you know, you just never know. And I need to have any monthly expenditures done. Like I can't be, the only thing I should be worrying about month to month is like my rent. So car needs to be paid off. I had a medical bill that I had been paying off. So it's like, all those things need to be done first before I can do this. So that's how I got financially ready to make significantly less. And I also always kept in mind, like there's Uber, there's like, there's all these ways. If I (laughs) needed some money, I told myself like, you will have more ability and time to do those things if you need to. Like I just had backups, like what's ways I could log in and log out. Like I could do waitressing. So when I really needed money, I asked to work at night at Pondicherry. Like I want to be a waitress. Let me be a waitress. So it's like to make more tips. And there were some You can make it work, right? There are options. You just got to let go of the control of the how and just figure it out. But I I needed that data. Like, I'm not going to act like, oh, like, just go and do it and you'll figure it out. It's like, I needed the data and I saw through observing for years what I was spending. It's like my car was the most expensive thing that was going down, my living, my rent. So it's like, those are the two things I needed to get down. And then less going out to eat. I mean, these are all little stuff and everyone knows that like coffee at home, save $20 a week, whatever it is. It's like just little things like that, but they felt meaningful. It felt meaningful. It's like, I don't mind doing that because I'm doing this to enable myself to do something I really want to do. Not because I'm looking to watch my account grow. It's like, I don't just want to have this nest of money for nothing. It's like, no, that nest means something. It means stability. It means safety. It means confidence. So I got to get that happening. I love that. I love it. I mean, same here, like literally just to share with the audience. Mm-hmm. Like I looked at the numbers. I had saved reasonable amount of money, not as mm-hmm. much as I wanted because we had purchased our house literally yeah. like last year. <laughs> so that's a big investment. And then like the little things, I mean, I literally didn't do my nails for like a year and a half. You know mm-hmm. why? Because that wasn't on the priority list. So yeah. sacrificing those minor things that when you add them up, they, they are a lot of money. So mm-hmm. I love that you did the same. Okay. Okay. So we're in this job right now. You're like learning everything, doing anything. What happened after that? My then fiance, I guess we had gotten engaged before that. He has to go back to Boston to finish his degree. And this was always, we always knew that he would probably have to go back to finish his degree. So we go back, we move from Portland, which I love that job and didn't want to leave. I knew, like, I just, I really loved it. And I wanted to learn more, but this was part of the plan. So we go back to Boston. I am again, searching for a job (laughs) and I wind up, I didn't really have a dream job there. I was kind of really set on not doing baker's hours. I had kind of had some of that at Tabor. It wasn't too bad. Like I never did overnight shifts, but it was really, really early. So I was like, you know, I'd really prefer not to do that again because me and Steven were on like two different schedules and that was kind of tough sometimes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just look for a job and I know I want it to have bread. I got to have my hands in like sourdough bread and then otherwise I'm open. So I got a job at 
Loyal Nine. <laughs> Loyal Nine is a restaurant in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I got like, it seems kind of crazy. I don't even know why they would They're like, oh, you're going to be our new pastry chef. I was like, okay. Like I literally had just had bread experience. I mean, I always went in with like, hey, I'm a quick learner. Like I don't know everything. I'm not formally trained, but I am really eager and excited by what you guys do. I really want to learn it. And that's how I entered into this job. So they hire me. I get trained by the present pastry chef. And that is the single hardest job I've ever had in my life. Wow, really? That was the most physically, emotionally, mentally exhausting work I've ever had. And I mean, for lots of reasons. So like, firstly, I was like in charge of the pastry program, which that meant for their nighttime, like PM desserts. So plated desserts, which I'd never done. And there's a lot of like, there's always components and there's, it's got to have like a lot of artistry and like, it's got to be easy because like, I'm not on the line at night. So I'm not the person plating it. So you better make it both artistic enough and easy enough to serve that no one who's on the line that night is going to mess it up. And then also there's the AM, we had like a cafe in the morning. So there's all that to do. So it's like, I did the bread program, the plated desserts, the cafe desserts. Wow. Like everything. And everything. <laughs> I mean, and we had, I really liked that job because I learned tons of like fundamental pastry, just methods and techniques. And I mean, we made ice creams, we did sourdough bread, we did yeasted breads, we did brioche, we did biscuits, scones, so cookies, pies, cakes. Like it was just like, Anything and everything I kind of would have liked to have learned, we got to do. And then I quickly got to be like the lead. So eventually my head pastry chef who trained me became the sous chef. And then I started having people who were working for me in the pastry department. And that job was cool because I got to present like new plated desserts at night. So like once I kind of got my, again, it was a slow burn. Like it took some time for me to, A, I wasn't coming right out of the gate, like, look, new desserts, new desserts. It's like, no, I need to prove myself that I could execute on their, what they were doing presently and that I could do it consistently. So it's like, that's all I focused on at the beginning was what can I do that you're already doing and do it well or better than you anticipated. So took a while to do that. And then once I kind of got that down, I got to have a couple of folks that were like working with me in pastry and I got to present new desserts for the evening menu. And the reason I say that was the hardest job is because I worked four days a week, but it was like 10 to 15 hours a day. Yeah. And the prep area, like it's a city, right? So we worked in a basement with no windows, but all the ovens, all of your heating sources were upstairs. So if I ever had to do anything, I'm carrying it up two flights of stairs and it was just tiring. It was just like always under, we had not enough resources as is most the story of most restaurants. Like you don't have enough people, you don't have enough time, it just felt like a, we needed more than we had. So I gave more than I probably should have given. Like I really tired myself out and it showed in my relationships, my partnership at home. There was, again, like I was using different coping mechanisms to cope with the exhaustion of that work. So even though I will say, I never want a job like that again, it taught me what I don't want and what I don't ever want to provide for someone who worked for me. It's like, I don't want anyone to experience the physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion that that job created. So like, for example, I had like a really bad knee issue from that job, just from all the stairs and the constant standing. And it was something that like, I still am kind of recovering from. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, here, like at Demeter's kitchen, I don't know if I'm allowed to fast forward, but we have like a health program. So even though I can't provide health insurance, like I don't have the breadth of the amount of people or the financial ability to provide my employees health insurance, we have like a health reimbursement program. So like everyone gets a hundred dollars like toward their monthly health. And that is massage. It's acupuncture. It's like, it can be, if you have to go to a doctor, just bring me a receipt and we reimburse you. But like, I encourage people to use it for these preventative care sorts of things. So I love that. Oh, me too. Because I get a massage once to twice a month and we have a partnership. (laughs) Leading by example, right? (laughs) 100%. (laughs) We have a partnership with Soma. They're a business here in Denton and they are different than most massage studios. They also believe that like massage is part of a health routine. So they don't do tips. It's like, we are a met, we're kind of like a medical service. This is our charge and that's it. And we have a partnership with them. So any one of our staff can go in once a month and get a free massage. They never even have to present their credit card. They just, you get a massage with. Amazing. So, okay, okay, okay. 
when did you create the Meters Kitchen? Tell me about that. So my partner, Stephen, husband now, he finishes up his degree in Boston. He gets a job. He has a few job offers, one in Denton, Texas. And when we come to Denton, I'm kind of like, okay, what bakery am I going to work at? Like, I still felt like I had a lot to learn. I also got really curious about making cheese. Don't know why. It was just like an obsession I had for a hot. So we come to Denton and I'm like, okay, there was no bakery that I was really inspired. Like, I felt like I was interested. Everyone has a nice baker. It's like, oh, this is a nice bakery. But it didn't have something that I felt like I really needed to learn. Like Tabor Bread had something. I was like, I need to learn what you're doing. Loyal Nine, I need to learn what you're doing. They focused on like New England fare. So they took like even very old recipes and modernized them. And I really liked that kind of, I liked that. They did a lot of ferments too. Like we had this huge section of ferments. So anyway, Loyal Nine had something I had to learn. I didn't feel when I came to Denton, even in Dallas, it was a big drive and I kind of wasn't down for that. So I was like, okay, There is nowhere in Denton at this current moment that has something I have to learn. So I also felt like there was a place for my type of bread. I was like, I don't really see anybody doing whole grain sourdough, like highlighting grains and kind of trying to make this bread that people can feel nourished by and satiated by. Like, I don't want to make bread that's like how people are always like demonizing bread and carbs. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I I want to change people's minds. Yeah. (laughs) I want to change their minds. Like bread has been a source of protein when people didn't have access to meat. I mean, when you use the whole part of the grain, you have minerals, you have vitamins, you have protein. There's just so much to it. And we've decided to label bread a carbohydrate when that's not all that it is. We're taking a a nutrient and deciding this whole item is just that nutrient. And so I knew I wanted to change people's minds, hopefully, and relationship with bread. So I asked my husband, I was like, hey, you know, if we move to Denton, which I'm down to do, I want to start my own business and I need your support for that. Like I will be <laughs> I a single it. will be a single income household for a while. Like I'm gonna get a part-time job because I can't spend all day, every day working on a business that's not yet happening. So he was super down. So we got an apartment here in Denton and I worked at Latte Da Dairy, which was a cheese making place in Flower Mound. And I loved that. I mean, I wanted to learn cheese, as I told you. So I worked at Latte Da Dairy under Ann Jones and she raised goats, milked goats. We made cheese. We made fresh goat cheese. We That's made amazing. Wow. Many type of aged <laughs> cheeses. So I did that two to three days a week while I was trying to get this business going. But still, it felt more like Demeter's Kitchen was my full-time and dairy was my part-time, which was a new space I'd never been in before, right? Like all of a sudden it was not like, hey, I'm working on my business and aside. It's like, Mm -hmm. this dairy is an aside. My business is the main thing I'm working on. So that amount of energy now, that new split was huge. It gave me a lot more energy and need that this business has to happen because this is just a very small thing I'm doing over here. It's just a part-time job, part-time income. And... Yeah, just, I mean, there's so many little things that occurred as Demeter's Kitchen. Do you kind of want the brief synopsis? Yeah, so what? let's take the highlights, right? What was the most challenging thing of you starting a business? Finding my market, testing the different markets, because I had this like idea at first that this is what it should be, and I did it, and it wasn't working. And it was hard to get out of, it was COVID kind of forced me out of that and forced me into a different way. But I think if I go back and talk to myself before, I would have said like, hey, you have an idea, but you haven't actually tested these. Like I assumed that farmer's markets wouldn't be as good for me as like having a menu at a brewery or a cafe. Like I thought, no, the menu is what's going to really be the business maker. And it wasn't, it was the farmer's markets, but I was unwilling to test those at first. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, no, this is the way, like I've done these theoretical numbers and this is the one that's going to work. And it's like the farmer's markets are where it's at. Like, yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, validating the mar- I mean, even with the digital course I'm creating, like I did validation calls just to make sure mm-hmm. it's needed. So that part you're saying it's super important to make sure you are providing value where the market needs that value. I love it. I love yes. it. Yes. And that's the most challenging part of a business though. It's like giving yourself that time. Like right now I can't expect to be making like super steady income for this yeah. amount of time because I'm <laughs> testing these different markets or these different ideas. And once I've gotten some of this data, I take the most encouraging one and I kind of move that way and let it kind of organically grow from there. So I feel like that was the most challenging part was the patience and the understanding that this is normal. This is part of business. Like business isn't just like open your doors and you're successful with the first idea you had. It's like, no, you know, it's nice to start smaller and test little nuggets and take the 
feedback from those tests and move this way, push that one aside for a minute and then divert. So it was a lot of that. Yes. I think whenever you're starting a business, having the vision of making it sustainable and like you said, in the future scalable, whenever you have experimented and you know what you want, mm-hmm. it, it seems like you said right now I'm experimenting every week, et cetera. And you did say that can be a challenge to making it scalable if I want to do that right. in the future, right? I love that you touch on the sustainability because it is really important. And that's why, at least in my business, I'm building this digital course because I also realize where this world is moving towards and not mm-hmm. everyone is deciding to have one-on-one coaching. Maybe they want something like faster or results faster, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Instead of six months, they can do it in a few weeks, some of that. Yeah. I love it. So, okay, so you started this by yourself and now you have five employees. I mean, let's applaud to that. That's freaking amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, seriously, how long have you been in business? Like the meter? Two years. Two years. Katie, okay, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank what, you. <laughs> what would you say was the key to your success? I mean, literally going from one to now like five employees and providing like massages, like complimentary. <laughs> and, I mean, I mean, all of these things are things that, and I say the massage part because that's not core. I mean, it is core for you, but that's not core of a business and you're still thinking about those things that are important for the people. Mm-hmm. So you clearly have put some thought into this business that you have created in two years. That's amazing. Thank you. I mean, people are the most important part of a business yeah. and that's said a lot, but especially in like the restaurant industry, it's such a transient industry. People come in and out a lot quickly. Mm-hmm. No one like goes to a restaurant. It's like, I'm going to work here till I retire. It's just like, that's just not how it works. Yeah. So There's a lot of, especially now, it's very competitive for to have employees. And I feel like the best way that I currently know how, and sometimes I struggle with the healthiness of this relationship, but it's like, you know what? When people work here, I want them to feel seen and taken care of. Like, not just because you produce an outcome for me. It's like, no, I genuinely know that when you as an individual are working for a place that you are excited about the product, that you feel seen and heard, where you're taking care of mentally, physically, and emotionally, you are going to be the best type of person that you can be, barring other outside circumstances, right? Like everyone's got their home life, everyone's got shit going down. But here, this is the environment I strive to create. And that to me, I hope, sets us apart as a place of employment. You know, it's like, we are out of a home. We are not, it's not like we have all of these insane opportunities. We don't have like this huge opportunity for daily revenue. It's not like we have service, you know, where it's like, oh, there's tips and blah, blah, blah. So I just feel like the environment is the best thing that I can create to yeah. keep people here as long as mm-hmm. they are willing so and important. able. And it's like, yeah. I know they're going to move on. Like nobody that works for me now, it's like nobody here is like, oh, yeah. I'm going to be at Demeter's forever. It's like, they're all such unbelievable, capable human beings. I want to be their experience that they talk about when I talk about like Pondicherry or Tabor. It's like, no, that was a pretty instrumental piece of what I needed to move on to this next job, even if it's not in food. So it's like when people come in, we do a purposeful employment interview. And I try to understand like, Hey, who are, who is this person? They've been working here for a couple of weeks. We have some sort of rapport And now it's like, I kind of want to understand, like, what are the things that excite you? What are the things that you hate? What do you hope and dream of for your future? And how can we find a way that those things that you're interested in learning, the things that we do here, where's like the need that you have with the need we have? And how can we kind of make those things work? So that's kind of another thing is like, I want them to know that I will do my best to provide a good resume builder for you. I don't want this to just be like, yeah, I worked at Demeter's Kitchen, whatever. It's like, no, I gained skills here. Even if I'm going and going to be like a professor or another business owner of some other type of business, like, no, I got to see some stuff and learn. I love that because you are treating them like you treated yourself in terms of the thought process of choosing the place that you were going to work for. You know, like, mm-hmm. hey, what is this place going to add me to fulfill the vision that I have myself? So I love that you're giving back to them with that same thought process. Thank you. But on the flip side, it can be (laughs) tricky because 
there's a codependency there. Like I sometimes struggle with feeling like if they're not okay, then I'm not okay. Mm. It's like people have home lives and they come to work and they struggle with things outside of work that happen. And we can't expect people to be dealing with shit at home, come to work and be totally fine. It's like, no, we come in and out and we, we are who we are and things are happening and we're embodying that experience. So sometimes I struggle with letting people have that, their experience. It might be shit. Their experience today might just Mm -hmm. be freaking shit and that's it. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 Not taking things personally, like whatever they're going through, it doesn't have to do with, with the business. Right. Like, yeah. 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 Or letting them like, Hey, today is a long day. You know, sometimes I feel this need to help them make their day go quicker and easier. But then my day is absolute shit. Cause I haven't worked on the things I needed to work on. And now I'm staying up late and now I'm not eating or now I'm not spending time with my partner because I had all this interest in making sure that their time was easier. Which sometimes I struggle with understanding like easier isn't always better. Like as human beings, we do like to be challenged. Yeah. And I sometimes try to like, oh, they'll like working here if it's easy. It's like not true. Our most fundamental and like transformational experiences aren't the easiest ones. So I I try to remind myself like, I will present them with challenges here physically, mentally, emotionally. But on the flip side, it's like, I also aim to support you physically, mentally, emotionally. I'm not going to hold your hand, Yeah, but yeah. I'm around. If you have like something going on personally, like I want you to feel like, Hey, today's not my day. And exactly. I just need you to know, I'm going to be a little distracted. I'm here, but yeah. I'm distracted. It's like, thank you for communicating. And we move on. Mm-hmm. So I'm still learning these fine skills because I've gone through periods where I haven't taken care of myself at all. Cause I was so busy taking care of my employees, my partner, the business. So I'm still learning that, you know, I don't have a good answer, but I do struggle right now with self-care, balancing care for employees, care of business. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast the other day and this person was talking about us as business owners, being able to trust our employees or our students, knowing that they're adults and they have Mm -hmm. all the resources inside them that they need to succeed and figure things out, figure things out and even communicate with us based on Mm -hmm. what they need. So I totally relate to that. I really appreciate that insight. Mm -hmm. I want to be super respectful of your time. I know we are like, it's 11.14 right now. And (laughs) you're you're a super busy business owner. (laughs) Quick question. Maybe someone listening at this interview and saying, I totally identify with Katie's story. Maybe baking and bread is something I'm (laughs) passionate about and I want to try it out. What are the key three things you can advise this person or or even a person that is in the entrepreneurial path? You can even make it high level if you want. What are the three things that they need to further continue gaining more clarity Mm -hmm. in this path? Just whatever comes to mind, that's perfect. I would say giving themselves the space to test. Like maybe a test means taking a weekend and just flipping through a recipe book, or maybe it's asking that bakery down the road that you really love, like, Hey, do you need some help once a week? Like I'll do whatever you need me to do and not expecting a ton in return immediately. You know, like, I feel like there's sometimes an expectation that things should move quicker or that we should be trusted with more. And I think that just getting yourself out there and testing and not expecting the world and all this information to be presented to you right away is huge. So I would say like testing, lowering expectations. Yeah, that's a good one. I love that one. And I'm like between just kind of uh, patience, just like, you know, patience for the process, but it is tough when you're in a role that's like really so misaligned you are so urgent to get out. So like, I can relate to that, like anxiety, that gripping feeling of, I need to get out of here. But I think like acknowledging progress along the way, it's like, now I've started a business two years ago. I would have said like, oh my God, you've done it. It's amazing. But it's like, now I've got new things that I'm like, I wish I was doing that and then I'll be happier. So it's like trying to untether this relationship to my like perfect vision and what's happening right now. I feel like kind of getting that, untethered earlier rather than later is wonderful. Like I don't need this to be happy. It's like, this is part of my life's work, my challenge. Like why should my bakery look 
like the ideal right now. I'm so young. I've just started this business. Like I've got so many years ahead of me to make this ideal thing. Yes. So I feel like just kind of giving us ourselves that time, that space, that patience to like, this is our life's work. Let's invest in it. Let's let it have its seasons. Let's let it do its thing, its successes, its failures. Like, oh, one last thing, a fourth thing. Don't let trends, don't let little single data points become trends. Like I used to think yes. if I did really well at a market, I'm like, oh my God, everything's going to be great from here. Or if I do real shit, it's like, oh, I'm going to be a shitty baker forever. It's like, no, it's not one little thing that happens doesn't mean it's all going to be like that in the future. So detaching this single day moment data point and not deciding that's the future. Just like, you know, take note of it. Yes. I always tell like every one of my clients to zoom out. Like when you're looking at a stock and then you're looking at this week and it's just going down, you're like, oh my God, that was such a bad investment. And suddenly you zoom out and see throughout the years how climbing up that stock has been doing. And you're right. So many times when we have one data point, we are like, this is our whole life. We have been a failure since forever. But when you detach yourself from that data point and you zoom out, you start seeing that the story looks so much better than what you're thinking right now. So I I love that you said that. Yeah. And get around people who are doing what you want to be doing. It's like, I start hanging out with more bakers, with more like micro bakery business owners and people who were, and even like people when I was in the corporate job, it's like, these are all people who had higher hopes and dreams who weren't Mm -hmm. very aware they're in a present moment. That's not their ideal, but they're slowly and steadily and intelligently making moves to find a better situation for themselves, whatever that is. And I feel like being around that type of person, instead of someone who maybe is creating sludge for themselves and for everyone around them, it's like being around people who are inspiring and energizing and on their own path. They're not rushing you. They're not making you feel like a failure for a year at, but they're just kind of like, Hey, I'm on this journey and I'm making it happen the best way I know how. So that's Another thing, just being around people who are doing what you want to be doing. The people doing the work rarely will criticize you, rarely will Mm -hmm. judge you because they know everything you have to go through to get there. And they're focused on their own path and supporting you. Right, exactly. It's the people that are not doing much that they're like, oh my God, how can you do that? You know, like sometimes Mm -hmm. that's what happens. Okay, one last question, I promise. What was the biggest, (laughs) I'm like, I okay, I can be speaking to you for like four hours. What was the biggest limiting belief you had to overcome now that you have your business or maybe you're still working on overcoming related to anything, related to money or whatever you want? That I could do it all myself. I really had this thought, this hope, this dream that like I needed no one else. And it's like the first thing was like relying on my husband for his income. That was so hard. Mm. And I mean, I'm still on that journey, but it's like, I don't harvest liquid from the business at this moment. It's like, it pays for itself. It pays for its employees and it invests in itself. Like that's what this business does. So I wouldn't have this business if it wasn't for him, his financial abilities, his physical, emotional, mental support. I wouldn't have this business if it wasn't for each individual that works here right now. It's like, I can't do it all myself. And I thought for a while, it's like the more independence I have, the more success that I portray, the better. But it's like, you know what? No. And even it's like, if I didn't have my customers, I couldn't do it. So at the end of the day, it's like, there is nothing that occurs in this business that I can take full freaking credit for at all. It's like, everything is part of a puzzle. And sometimes I'm not even like the original seed. Sometimes I'm just the water. Someone else was the seed and they kind of started something. I'm just encouraging it or Sometimes I had like no part in that. Like we have a bunch of cookies. It's like, I didn't make those cookies. Someone else did it. They're they're the genius behind those cookies. Oh my God, I love it. And vendors, you just rely on so many people. It's like, I rely on the people that grow that grain and I rely on the people that deliver it. And I, so I just, you can't do it all yourself. I can't do it all myself. Nobody can. And the sooner that we can like respect and allow others to do their job, to be there for us, to accept help, to accept the fact that like, this is a transaction. I am an employer. You are an employee. I give you money for your time. You give me product. Like that is, it's all part of this, this thing. That is well said, my friend. I am just so inspired by you. I cannot believe how far you have come since you literally left your full-time job and started Pondicherry. I remember that time that we were 
sitting and having lunch, remember? Mm-hmm, I <laughs> do. I was sharing with you one of my letters for when I tried quitting, but didn't work out. Yeah. Oh my God. It's such a beautiful journey. And for you to be here today and share your story with many people that will be able to benefit, right, from your mentorship or your story or your inspiration. I mean, I think that's so meaningful. So I really appreciate you being here. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Yes, I (laughs) love it. If our listeners want to find you of your or your company, where can they find your contact info? You can find us on Instagram at Demeter's Kitchen. If you're like far away and just want to look at pretty pictures of bread, that's the best place to do it. If you're kind of in Dallas, DFW area, Demeter'sKitchen.com, that like has our offerings every week. We're going to be doing classes soon. We're pretty much a local sort of place, you know? So if you just want to follow from afar, I I appreciate it. But we are here to serve our pretty much direct community. And that's our Denton area first and DFW after that. So that's kind of what we do. We're pretty small, pretty concentrated. I love it. Hey, I promise I'll be visiting you very soon because I I would love it. (laughs) Cody's family is in Dallas. So we go so often. And oh, tell me, we'll get food or I'll show you the bakery. We'll do all yes, of it. Yes, I'm so excited. Okay, I cannot wait. Thank you so much, Katie, for everything you have shared with us. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Jeanette. Best of luck to you. This is awesome. Thank you, everyone, for channeling to another episode. And I'll see you next week. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening at With Clarity and Purpose. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Sharing is caring. Please share with your friends and family so we can continue building an empowered community together. I'll see you next week.